Ron and I, for many, many, many years throughout our marriage, have uh, we, we've all, we, we've actually taken the Fourth of July week to be our vacation week, and we've traveled in different places. We have been to uh, Washington D.C. on the Fourth. We one year were fortunate enough to get to the the lawn early enough for the big fireworks show, and we were another year fortunate enough to be in Boston on July the 4th. We actually heard the reading of the Declaration of Independence from a gentleman in character, meaning costumed, time period costume. Uh, We've had some wonderful adventures on July 4th. We've also been privileged to visit the city of Philadelphia, not on July 4th, but we have gone to a lot of places in our country to look at historical sites, to remember what has happened in our country to give us the freedoms that we enjoy here in this country that I call not this country, but my country, the United States of America. As many of you know, we have been through some interesting times throughout American history. And from the time when settlers first came here, and settled in what we know as the eastern seaboard and the colonies. And as time passed, there was that moment when the people began to murmur and discuss, and there was an eventual declaration of independence from the king of England. And that led to a war which we won. And by the way, nobody expected the colonists to win the war, but we won the war. And after winning said war, it was then a process to form a new government and to continue what was to become a great experiment in not democracy, but a democratic republic. Now, I know I'm giving you just a little bit of history this morning, but I'm giving you just a little bit of history this morning because it's important for us to understand as we celebrate this day tomorrow, July 4th, to appreciate what was done by those who came long before us. For us to hopefully preserve and continue to enjoy the blessings that God gave us in this country. Not only will it be, this message is not about our country specifically, but it's about what our forefathers envisioned that gives us as Christians the freedom to share our faith, to live out our faith, to share the gospel of Christ, to make disciples, to make a difference, not just in our homes and our towns and our state and our nation, but throughout this entire world upon which we live. It was an insightful, God-led moment that, that our country was formed that gives us this great opportunity. Has our country been perfect through the years? Of course not. We've We've done some things that were regretful. And there are some things in our past that we wished had not happened. But I will say, as far as I'm concerned, and I believe my wife is on the same page, I don't believe I know, I would choose not to live in any other country but this country. Because I believe this is the greatest country here on this world. Now, with all of that said, we also know that in the past month, there were some interesting rulings from the Supreme Court. And one of those rulings, or two of those rulings, had to do specifically with religion. There was a teacher in the state of Washington 
who would, after the football game, go to midfield on the 50-yard line and kneel and pray silently. When he first started doing that, there were no students around. It was just him on the 50-yard line. He would kneel, he would pray, and then some students would come and gather, and then some more students would come, and they would pray together. Well, the state of Washington, or at least the school district there, told him you can't do that. That's a violation of separation of church and state. It eventually went to the Supreme Court, and he won the case. Meaning, basically, the Supreme Court said that Christians have the right to express their faith, even in their workplace. And I think that was a momentous decision, because even in the, the world that I work Monday through Friday, as a hospice chaplain, we, it's on the books. We cannot proselytize because that is a violation of the separation of church and state. Now, just to let you know, and they're going to hear it, and if I lose the job, so be it. I don't proselytize per se, but I share my faith. And when someone asks or wants to know what do I need to do to be saved, I tell them what the Bible says of how to be saved, how to become a follower of Jesus. I've actually had the privilege of baptizing at least one hospice patient and leading other hospice patients to know Christ before they breathe their last on this side of heaven. And I'm not going to change that. So if it costs me my job during the day, so be it. But that was a great decision that came down from the Supreme Court. And there was another one that came down, and that one had to do with a school in the state of Maine. The state of Maine has not only some metropolitan areas, but there were also some mountainous areas. And those smaller districts, those smaller communities, couldn't afford to build their own schools and have their own systems. And so the state of Maine said, you can start a school and we will give the parents reimbursements for the tuition paid to said school. So there were groups that started schools in these communities, including some churches. And when the request was sent to be reimbursed, the state of Maine said, we will refund those of you who did not go to a religious school, but for those of you who went to the Christian school, we will not reimburse you. It went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, you can't do that because you are distinguishing between some and others. You can't. You've got to do the same for everybody. That was another important decision. What I'm saying to you is this. The first amendment or the first bill of rights, we know that one, many of us, but I just want to share with you something about that specific uh, bill of rights. It gives all of us as Americans the freedom of speech. Now, I know I don't like all the things that a lot of people are saying these days. You probably don't either. There are a lot of people that say some things that just get under my skin and it just, it just, it just, it just, I don't like it. But guess what? They have the right to say that. Just like I or you have the right to say whatever you want to say. And that first Bill of Rights also gives us the freedom of religion. We can worship our Lord here because of what our forefathers foresaw and put into practice. And by the way, that was a really hard fought out battle. It didn't happen overnight. There was the Declaration of Independence, and then the war, and then after we won, then the Constitution, and then later the Bill of Rights came, and there was a lot of debate, a lot of discussion. But when our forefathers sat down, they all agreed 
that citizens in this country need the right to speak and they need the freedom to worship as they so choose. And we need to honor that. We also, in that first Bill of Rights, have the freedom of the press. Guys, if we don't like what the press is saying, guess what? We can go start our own press. You know, we can do that. It's legal, and nobody can make a law against it. We have the right to peacefully, note the word peaceably, assemble. We can't violently, riotly assemble, but we have the right as citizens of the country to peacefully assemble. And then the first uh, Bill of Rights also guarantees if the government has grieved you or hurt or harmed you, we have a right to, to fight the government on that. You couldn't do that if you were a British citizen back in the day. They wouldn't allow it. They would imprison you, maybe even hang you. There's one other recent Supreme Court decision that was made, and this one is probably stirred up the most of all, and you all know what it is, I'm sure. It's on the issue of abortion. You know for some time that I have stood firm that life begins at conception. Not only do I get that from Scripture, but it's also a scientific note. I've also noted and shared throughout my time here and even in years past that, that, that the hypocrisy of the left to say that a, an eagle's egg is protected or a sea turtle's egg is protected. And while I'm all for protecting bald eagle eggs and sea turtle eggs, why in the world are we not saying that when life is formed in the womb of a woman, that individual is an individual with rights and liberties just afforded or afforded to all of us. I don't see the difference personally. Now, with that said, our church and many other churches and many others across the country have been praying for a long time for all of these things. If we just look back over a few years, you might remember that Christians have been under attack and have been kind of hushed a little bit. We've been told that we can't say certain things and we can't do certain things because our faith can be offensive. Well, Jesus did say that he did not come, basically he came to say, basically, there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus himself. There's no other way to get saved. There's no other way to get to heaven. And there are folks that just don't like it. And there are people that say, well, the Bible is old, and the Bible is outdated, and the Bible is no longer practical for today's life. Well, listen, the Bible is just as relevant today as it was in the days it was first penned and then repinned and repinned as God protected the authenticity of His Word. And so I want you to know that when we look at Scripture, I am looking not at my words. I'm not looking at the words of David or Moses or Paul or any of the other human authors. I am looking at the words of God Himself. God saying to me and you, this is my will for you and this is how I want you to live your life. And this is the way to find life and experience life to the fullest and also enjoy the peace that God wants to give to all of his children along with the promises and the hope of heaven in the future. Now, that was a mouthful, and I said it very fast. With all of that said, I want us to think about what is happening in our country and what that really means for us as Christians in today's world. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. The setting of this scripture is the temple 
that Solomon built. Now remember a little history, David wanted to build a temple, but David was told by God, you're not going to be able to build a temple because of blood on your hands, but your son Solomon will build a temple. While David was king, he had made and collected uh, many of the supplies and the plans, and then Solomon, he actually orchestrated, and then the temple was built. And when it was built and dedicated, later that night, we read these words. Verse number 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people. And this verse we just heard earlier, but it's a famous verse for so many of us. And if my, or in my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. And I've chosen now and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. I want you to think about what we just read. This historical moment. The temple's been built. It was beautiful. It was magnificent. And, and God's coming to Solomon now. And he's basically saying to him, Listen, I've heard your prayer. May we never forget. May we always remember that when we gather in worship, when we come to this place, well, this is not the temple, but this is a place that God has set apart, our church building and so many other church buildings. When God's people gather to worship, and when we kneel in prayer, and when we ask God to move in our life, in our church, in our community, in our nation, God hears those prayers. And it's important for us to know that. How many years have we been praying that Roe versus Wade would be overturned? Pretty much since the beginning. God heard those prayers. Now, there's still a lot more work to be done. But what about some of the other things that have been going on in our country? God hears our prayers. God wants us and, and, and challenges us to come and worship and kneel before him and say, God, these are some things that are bothering us. These are some things that need to change in my life. These are some things that need to change in our church. These are some things that need to change in our community. And we are asking you, God, to move in our hearts and to move in our community and move in our country and move us in the right direction. Give us wisdom. Give us leadership. You see, God says, I hear those prayers. And then God reminds Solomon some things. He says, if I choose to do, and he listed some things, pestilence, disease, I am still convinced that there have been moments in history and the present time and in the future when people walk away from God, when people turn their back on God, when people say, I don't want to do things God's way, God brings judgment upon said people. That's, 
that's the cost of sin. I mean, I, I, there are moments I don't like the day job, the hospice job, because I deal with people who are dying. I see people at various stages and ages, young adults, middle-aged adults, and even senior adults. And the, and the reality is, because of sin in the world, we are all under the curse of death. We are all going to die. Some die young. It's tragedy happens. And, and so God says, when you turn your back on him, judgment comes. And that's just a stark reality of life. But then the verse that we are familiar with, he says, if my people who have been called by my name... If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you call upon his name, God's listening. God wants to hear your prayers. And then he reminds us that if we will humble ourselves, that's not easy to do, is it? To humble yourself. I, I'm a, a, at times a little prideful. I'm, I've been told before, mainly by people very close to me, my wife and children, that I know what, well, you think you always know what's right. Or you all, you, I'm not communicating it well now. I've been told I'm a know-it-all. And I've occasionally said, well, it's true. That's not very humble, is it? That's, that's a prideful sort of spirit. But, but aren't we many, many of us, we're like that, aren't we? we? We kind of say and feel, well, I know what's best, and I know what to do, and I know how to do it. But God says we don't always know how to do it. There are those moments when we need to humble ourselves before our Creator and say, God, my way is not your way. And I need to humble myself before you. And he says, when we humble ourselves, and, and then he says, and pray. We say, God, change me into the person you want me to be. And that is a, a, an ongoing process. We are never going to be able to just to snap our fingers and say, I have arrived. Because we are always in need of change. We are always in need of being molded and shaped into the man or the woman that God truly wants us to become. And so we, we have to remember, God, I am praying first and foremost for me to be the person you want me to be. So God, help me to be humble before you and help me to seek you, to seek you. That's why coming to church, that's why reading scripture, that's why being in a small group, that's why doing all of the things that you've heard me say and others say is so important. We have to seek God because God's ways are always perfect. We have to seek him and then he says we have to turn from our sin. There's sin in my life but I'm not alone. Everybody here has some sin in their life. We all have sin. There are all those rooms of our life that we don't want anybody to know about. There are things that we say and things that we do, things that we should do that we don't do. In other words, we all have sin in our life. 
And we have to turn from that sin. When we do that, God says, I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive, and I will heal your land. See, there's still so much we need to do. What does this story, what does this scripture mean for you, me, our church, or even our country? While we celebrate some of the recent Supreme Court rulings, there's still a lot of healing and a lot of work to be done. Here's what I want you to see, and I hope that, that we together will work on becoming that Christian, that church that God truly wants us to become. There is this powerful anti-Christian spirit right now in our country. If you've looked at some of the news, I have seen some things that are kind of disturbing. There are some people that have said related to the abortion ruling, I don't want to hear from Christians. I don't want to hear about any of And they just go on and they spit it out. We've only kind of scratched the surface of what may be coming down the road. But I want you to know something. For many years in our country, we have been moving, and this is the church's fault. The church has become lazy. The church has become kind of circle the wagons. The church has become, well, we don't want to offend anybody. Listen, when Jesus said in John's gospel, as, as John recorded, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we know that, but we can also forget what Jesus added after that. No one, Jesus said, no one can come to the Father, how? Except through me, Jesus said. There's no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus. There are still people today who believe, I can go to heaven if I'm a good person. There are still people today who believe and listen to what is out there in this world. And we as Christians have kind of become a little silent and not saying, no, 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 you can't get into heaven by being a good Buddhist or a good Muslim or a good Jew or fill in the blank. The only way to get to heaven is by a personal relationship with the Savior Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And people find that offensive. And then when we say as Christians... The, the Bible reminds us of how we are to live our life. Satan and the demons of hell do not want us to talk about the Bible. Because the Bible is offensive. Jesus is offensive. They don't want people to hear the truth of Scripture. And so many Christians and many churches have set back... And we've just let that evil dominate and take over. But I think and I believe that God is reminding us today that we need to get back up. And we need to rise up. And we need to love people the way Jesus loved people. And we need to say, listen, we want what's best for you and you've got the right to choose. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But this is what... We need to be sharing with you 
there's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. He says that God reminds us from the Scripture that we need to pray, and we need to humble ourselves. And we need to repent of our sins for too long. This is just my, my opinion, I suppose. For too long, we've relied a little too much on the government. And we've relied less on Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. I love this country. I love, I love the United States. I love traveling. Ron and I have been to so many places in the country. It's amazing and it's beautiful. But listen, the Declaration of Independence will not get me into heaven. The, the Bill of Rights will not get me into heaven. All that does is guarantee me certain rights and freedoms here. The day in which the Apostle Paul lived was not a, it was nothing like here. The Roman government was religiously pluralistic. They believed in many false gods. In fact, when Paul went to the, the, the city of, um, oh goodness, it just left me, poof, gone. That's terrible. The little evil city, um, oh gosh, Athens. When he went there, boy, it's happening. One day I'm going to wake up and go, who am I? Anyway, when he went there and, and he walked down the, the road and they saw, he saw all the names of the different gods that were worshipped in the day, and when he came to the one pillar that said, to the unknown God, he went, ah, there's my moment. And he said, let me tell you who the unknown God is. And he told them it was Jesus. There were many Christians in Paul's day and shortly thereafter that literally gave their life for their faith. We, we, don't, we don't live in a world like that. While the world we live in may not be Christian friendly, it's nothing like the days in which the New Testament was, was lived. Goodness gracious, we need to wake up as a church and as individuals and say, it's time we begin to truly say, this is what Jesus says, and make a difference in our world. Because, trust me, the President of the United States is not going to make any Christian disciples. The governor of our state is not going to make any Christian disciples as governor of this state. That's our job. We've been commissioned with the responsibility to make disciples. There's a gentleman that I've actually met. I, I can't recall his name. You may have seen this guy. He, uh, he lives out in Douglas County somewhere. But he, he will get on a street corner. We're near where Ron and I live, Post Road and Highway uh, 166. I've seen him in Douglasville. I've seen him in Carrollton. Let's just call him a street preacher. He drives a little white car. He brings out signs. And he, I mean, I've pulled up. He waves and he preaches. And on some of the signs is the word hell. Now, I, I, one day I was getting fuel, gas, and um, he pulled up beside me. He gave me a track. I told him I was a Christian, and I gave more than just I'm a Christian. I said, I didn't tell him I was a pastor. 
I just said, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I did it when I was 18 years old. And I gave him, and he said, well, great, give that track to somebody then. And he went about his business. I found out about two or three weeks ago that this particular gentleman, there are people that actually stop and talk to him. Did y'all know that? Y'all may have seen this guy. How many of you ever seen this guy? All right, y'all know who I'm talking about. I found out from someone who goes to the church that he goes to that there are several people that stop and talk with him and he prays with them and leads them to faith. Who would have thought that a street preacher would work these days? And there are people who stop and say, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life and I just want you to pray for me. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. I'm saying that to say to you this, God is still moving. The question is, are you moving? Am I moving? Are we really trying to make disciples and are we really trying to make a difference or are we just kind of scratching and sniffing our faith? We need to pray. When it comes to the abortion issue, we all need to start doing this. We need to be praying for moms. Well, we need to be praying for our young adults. We need to be praying. We need to pray that churches and others would say, look, God has a plan, and this is God's plan. God wants you to be a follower of Jesus. And God wants you not just to be a follower of Jesus, but he wants you to follow him in every area of your life. When I was a teenager and a young adult, well, Ron and I married so young, I don't even remember being a kid sometimes. Um, but anyway, I remember in high school sexual temptation. I, I know, though, for a fact that the day Ron and I married, when we said I do, I was a virgin on that day, as was she. And the reason we were was because of our faith. Today, our world's gone crazy. It has absolutely gone crazy. In middle school, Girls are getting pregnant. In high school, they're getting pregnant. If you've seen any of the young ladies protesting for abortion rights, they're angry. They're sexually promiscuous. And people don't like for us to say, sex is between a husband and a wife. But that's God's way. God has a plan for people to enjoy sexual intimacy, and it's between a man and a woman, married. That's his plan. Abortion was never God's plan. It's a way out of sexual promiscuity. And the church needs to proclaim this truth over and over and over. If we really said to people, 
Jesus loves you, and Jesus wants to save you, and Jesus wants to bless you, and Jesus wants to walk with you and give you peace and give you a home in heaven when you die. If you follow him and you live a life that honors him, you, you know, the abortion, it would just go away. People have said through the years, I remember when Rhonda and I, our daughters were, were young teenagers. You may have heard of Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey back in the day said, parents, you need to give your girls protection. Rhonda and I said, we're not giving our girls protection. We taught them to follow Jesus. And we told them, you just got to say no. Now, we were told we were crazy. But you know what? The church has become lax on sexual intimacy, hasn't it? We don't want to talk about these things. But we need to talk about these things. And we need to say to our teenagers. And we need to say to our young unmarried adults. And we need to say to everybody else, there are certain things you just don't need to do. Because it's dangerous. And it'll, it'll lead to harm if you don't follow the ways of God. The Bible's very clear about all of these things. And so what I want us to understand is when we are saying as a church, we want to enjoy the best that God has to offer, we need to say, God, help us, help us to lead people to Christ and help us to mature them to follow Jesus in every area of their life. And it's a great challenge in our world today. It's a big challenge. The question is, are we up to it? The question is, are we willing to stand up and say, not just to the world out there, but to get our hands dirty and say, we're going to love people, and we're going to help people, and we're going to love people, and we're going to accept people, and we're going to, when people do fail, and when people do sin against God, we're not going to kick them out or ostracize them, but we're going to love them through even their sin. So that's what Jesus did. Remember the woman caught in adultery? The religious leaders wanting to trap Jesus, drug this poor woman, not the man. Not the man, she just drugged the woman, set him down, and said she's been caught in the act of adultery. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say? Jesus really didn't say anything. He just wrote on the dirt. Nobody really knows what he wrote. People have guessed maybe he was writing down the sins of the men in that group. But as the story unfolded one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, all of these men with stones in their hand quietly walked away. And when all were gone except Jesus and this woman, Jesus said to her, Where are your accusers? And she said, They've all left. But you know what Jesus said to her? He said, Go and sin no more. He didn't say, Keep committing adultery. He said to her, Live a godly life. And that's what I'm saying to you that we continue doing in our own church. We say, 
Come and follow Jesus and live a godly life, and we're going to love you through the good times as well as the challenging times. Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We don't lower the bar. We keep the bar where Jesus set it. And we say to people, that's what he expects. Now, just imagine for a moment, if our church took to heart the whole counsel of God and we truly lived out the faith that Jesus wants us to live, how it would change not only our life, our community, but maybe even our country. Imagine if we humbled ourselves before God and we prayed and we said, God, help us be that Christian and help us be that church that you really want us to be. Imagine how beautiful it would be five years, ten years from now. I think it would be amazing. 